Welcome back. This is the live Truth Jihad Radio, broadcasting every Friday evening. I'm Kevin Barrett. My website is truthjihad.com. And you can also subscribe to my Substack by way of kevinbarrett.substack.com and get early access to all of these shows. All right. Well, tonight is the official Truth Jihad Radio night to talk about the crusade to liberate the Muslim women from the Muslim men. We care so much about Muslim women that we um, really uh, improve the life of Dr. Afia Siddiqui, as you heard in the first hour. And we're over in Iran right now paying the MEK, the Mujahideen al-Khalqa terrorist group, to terrorize the country and riot and so on. And this is all to liberate the Iranian women, specifically to liberate their hair from their headscarves. Wow, that's a wonderful, noble project, isn't it? Well, here to discuss that with me is Helen Bynisky. She's been working on and off with us over at False Flag Weekly News for a couple of years now, and she is one of the best commentators out there, whether spoken or written. She's Helen of Destroy, and she also has a substack, Helen Bynisky, H-E-L-E-N-B-U-I-N-I-S-K-I, dot substack.com. That's my actual subject that's, that's, it's, that's, it's, it's Helen of Destroy that subject. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Helen of Destroy that subject. Sorry. Uh, well, hey, welcome, Helen. And let's talk about your article on another day, another color day. revolution in Iran. It's good to be here. Sorry to burst in there. I just want people to go to the right address. That's probably a good idea. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, so. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're told that you know, everybody is supposed to support the, the noble Iranian woman's revolt against the evil mullahs who are trying to keep their hair tied up. Uh, that's really, I don't think, what's probably actually going on over there. I've been there quite a few times. And uh, apparently you don't think so either. No, it's uh, it's one of these cyclical things. They, they keep doing the same playbook, these color revolutions that are straight out of Gene Sharp's uh, Albert Einstein Institute, his From Dictatorship to Democracy, which is the color revolution playbook that was first uh, taken up by Otpor student rebels in uh, Yugoslavia and has since been repeated ad nauseum throughout uh, the Middle East, uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, Northern Africa, various parts of the world where the United States and Israel have a desire to regime change the, because people happen to be sitting on top of some particularly desirable mineral resource. And here it's, this is the same, the same playbook we're seeing with, now it's the women and uh, liberating their hair from the oppression of the veil. And in, in 2009, it was, oh, the elections are, the elections have been unfair and, and miscounted and therefore there was the Green Revolution. And then 2017, it was, uh, I don't even remember what the excuse was in 2017. And then 2019, it was the cost of living. But it's the same thing. They take one issue, people have legitimate grievances regarding this issue, and then they steamroll that into, or snowball that rather, not steamroll, mixing my metaphors, snowball that into a larger like attempt to just, oh, well, we have to take out the entire government. We can't just fix this one little thing. And the whole government's got to go and be replaced with some uh, Rothschild Central Bank and uh, maybe a government if we can get get over get get through the Rothschild Central Bank is, is the key the key point point here. But um, yeah, so it's this. While there are uh, women may have a legitimate grievance that they don't want to wear the veil, it, if they they don't uh, the people who are legitimately protesting that are not feeling the need to, oh, we need to get rid of the entire government and do it in this way and, and collaborate with the MEK, who are a bunch of terrorists who have been killing our countrymen for years and years. And uh, it's just the, the people that are that end up being in charge. Um, I mean, I, I'm, your viewers may be familiar with um, Mali, uh, 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 Masi Alinejad, 
who is this uh, U.S. bankrolled uh, figure who who came out early in the in the thing and said she was one of the first uh, people on social media to claim that uh, this woman uh, who who was supposedly beaten to death by police had had been beaten to death by police instead of just uh, suffering a medical uh, misfortune in the police station. And so out of nowhere, with no evidence, she and, and she was interviewed by a Western media outlet and said, well, I'm the one leading this protest. And it's like, okay, so you're an American, uh, you're, you're living in America, you're an Iranian expat living in America, you're leading this protest, this crusade for this woman who, who uh, this poor 22-year-old woman who happened to have a, a medical uh, mishap in this police station, and, and there was no evidence that she was beaten to death, but so we have to now claim that she was, and so the, the fact that people are lining up behind this this person who has all of these dodgy ties, who's bankrolled by supposedly staying in an FBI safe house, according to uh, this article in Al Maidin about her, I mean it's we're, it's just the, the pattern of these dodgy uh, figures coming out of nowhere or coming out of even worse a known U.S. Israeli hives of uh, subversion and taking up this cause, this completely disingenuous cause. And again, steamrolling it, uh, snowballing it into uh, steamrolling the snowball. Steamrolling the snowball into we have to take out the government now because uh, if we don't, then well, and they use the same slogans too, and they're always in English, which is a dead giveaway. It's like, could you could you make it any more obvious that you're doing this for the sake of the news cameras? It's like death to dictator, and it's the same that that they used in I think 2017. They had those signs in 2019. 2009 probably as well, but at the 2009 it was like, where is my vote in English? And so, yeah, it, it, you can see that the uh, the protests around the world, there are more people in Europe protesting for on behalf of this woman than there are in Iran, and that's that's really all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, and there were huge counter protests. Uh, there were you know, yeah. giant, yeah, giant counter protests uh, uh, for the government, and those t- got zero coverage here. But I don't understand why they have to do so many things in English because. There are a lot of rich, spoiled Iranian exiles living in Hollywood and other parts of Los Angeles. And some of those people are being harnessed and put to work to broadcast propaganda into Iran. Um, why, why do you think they have to use so much English? Well, they have to get as many people as possible because it, for the fourth thing, they're, they're, they're splitting their assets in, in quite, they're spreading their assets quite thin right now because they have to have all of these people. Uh, astroturfing the support for the Ukraine thing. They have to have all these people astroturfing support for uh, COVID uh, crackdowns. Um, they have to have all these people astroturfing support for now Iran too. And so they, they, they just need to like not put all their eggs in one basket, let's say. And um, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to find a picture to illustrate an article I was writing the other day. And I was trying to find pictures of people it, uh, protesting in support of this movement actually in Iran. And I couldn't find any. All I could find was the pro-government protests. And then there were a lot of, obviously, the protests in the U.S., in Europe, in Australia, in wherever. Like, there was not, <laughs> there was no protest in Iran for, for, on behalf of this. And that's uh, that's pretty bad because if, if, it, if this movement is indeed, and, and also, who brings a pair of scissors to a protest, let alone a pair of scissors that are sharp enough to cut hair? That's just not a thing that you do. I mean, it, 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 the, the, the original uh, haircut protest was supposedly a spontaneous thing, and, and I'm sorry, nobody does They just happen to bring scissors. Yeah, I mean, if you brought a scissors <laughs> like to the, the Capitol on January 6th, you'd probably be locked up for life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. No, it, it, you just try, try cutting your hair with a pair of regular scissors, too. You need, you need special haircutting scissors to be able to do that. Regular scissors are not sharp enough. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. And you know what what I really don't understand is who picked the MEK as the spokesperson for the uh, American supported democratic revolution in Iran. I mean that's that's like picking al-Qaeda or maybe even ISIS as the spokesperson for this new government that you want to put in DC. The American people probably aren't going to go for that any more than the Iranians are going to go for the MEK, which is actually hated by Iranians even more than ISIS and al-Qaeda are hated by Americans. And yet that's the group that the, the CIA has picked to spearhead their regime change effort in Iran. It's kind of hilarious. And, you know, and, and pushing the MEK as the liberate Iranian women by ripping off their headscarves kind of group is, is kind of bizarre because the actual discussion and debate about the headscarf in Iran is not this simple, straightforward thing where only rich, spoiled uh, pro-Western Iranians don't like the headscarf. It's actually a lot more complicated than that. Former President Ahmadinejad, who is no friend of the Americans and the Zionists, is a noted proponent of changing the, the law and uh, dropping the mandatory hijab. Uh, in fact, he's probably the most notable proponent of that. Yet what we're told is that it's all these pro-Western types who are, you know, it's all spearheaded by the MEK. And, and if you really want to, you know, destroy the activists, the real activists in Iran who would like to change the law on that particular issue, such as Dr. Ahmadinejad and many of the people who support him, you probably shouldn't be trying to identify this hijab activism with the MEK terrorist group. I mean, who, who dreams up these PR efforts in the State Department? I mean, how did they ever successfully overthrow any governments? I guess it was 1953 when they last succeeded in Iran. And I think it's going to be at least, uh, you know, like 2353 before they succeed again the way they're going. Well, that's, yeah, that's why I, I titled my previous article Insulting Iran's Intelligence, because it's like they, they really are just rubbing it in their faces and adding insult to injury. This this idea that Oh yeah, we, we, we know they, they have such a little, such a low opinion of you that they're going to like hold up the MEK as the standard bearers of democracy, and uh, the Westerners, of course, are so dumb that they'll actually swallow that, and this, which is also insulting in and of itself. But yeah, it, it is very interesting that this hijab thing is being. Uh, I, I think that so the reason why they're why they're why they're making that making it out to be that only the pro-Westerners are in support of that is because if they if people in the West were able to understand that uh, the, the people who are actually have been in government and have the chance to actually take over in a way that doesn't involve a Western coup, then uh, it, the Western the West has more in common with Iran than we would like to think. They want to they want to other this 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 government and other these people in such a way that. Americans will back overthrowing them and regime changing them, whereas if they actually had the idea that, hey, maybe not all these people uh, want to keep women under the veil for the rest of uh, eternity, then the people would be more sympathetic to the Ahmadinejad and the other uh, people in, in power or near power who uh, are behind that uh, reform movement. And, of course, we should also note that the hijab issue is a lot more complex than the Western discussion would indicate. Yeah, among Muslims in many different cultures, it's not just a simple – it's not like it's the men who want the women to wear the hijabs and the women who don't want to wear them. It's not at all like that. It's usually – in the, the, most of the Islamic world, it is a choice that the women make themselves. And in Iran, where there is this mandatory hijab, which is – Basically, I, I mean, I've been there and there's a lot of bad hijab in Iran. You know, these these pieces of cloth that are sort of like way down, you know, <laughs> barely covering the nape of the neck. And the whole handful of hair is totally visible. 
And you don't have morality police running around persecuting these women. It's so the whole thing is is grossly exaggerated. However, there is uh, a Muslim feminist pro hijab position, and that position first would not want to drop the hijab in Iran and make it look like it's some sort of victory for the anti-Islam forces led by the great Satan and the little Satan. And then secondly, and perhaps more importantly, uh, for a great many Muslim women, uh, you know, not all by any means, but a lot, uh, the hijab is seen as a liberating thing. In Iran, when the hijab sort of blossomed after the revolution in 1979, and there had been not so much of it before that, uh, especially in the cities, and then suddenly a lot of people started wearing it, and it was associated with uh, a return to viewing women in a more dignified way. And suddenly you had uh, hitchhi female hitchhikers everywhere. I've talked to people from that time who talked about how before the revolution, there was no, no woman would ever hitchhike because, you know, she would be assumed to be fair game and bad things would likely happen to her. And then after the revolution, women put on their hijabs. It was became, you know, that the social function of that in Islamic culture, or one of them anyway, is it means that a woman is a spiritual being worthy of respect and not a piece of meat. And so there's a feminist position that says, you know, this is a really good thing. And it uh, seems like nobody in the West understands this, perhaps because we're taught that liberating women to be pieces of meat is is basically what <laughs> what feminism is all about. So so anyway, it's, it's really complex. And, and you know, it's Iran is a very pluralistic culture where, you know, every mullah seems to have a different, wildly different opinion from the others. It's not like everybody is marching in lockstep to the Supreme Leader. And over here, nobody gets it. People are just so ignorant and it, it gets frustrating. It's like I'm happy to see articles like yours that actually, you know, are not stupid. <laughs> it's like everything I read about it around here is stupid, it seems like. Well, yeah, I mean, it's they keep reverting to this 2009 Brookings Institute paper, which I mentioned in, in the, the article that I wrote in 2018 about the 2017 version of this color revolution, which is just this, you know, everybody who's, who's the authors are on, it, on it are all members of like the Saban Institute of the Brookings Institute, which is obviously funded by this Israeli Jewish, whichever billionaire uh, who is back to the Democratic Party in the U.S. And like, so these people are not ones who have deep understanding of Iranian culture or Muslim culture or any sort of culture other than like the perhaps cultured bacteria or the, the sort of culture you find in a yogurt or whatever. But um, it's a very, very basic understanding. And also there, there is a, an interesting parallel as far as in the U.S. how we're, we are basically kept busy chasing our tails with social issues so as to not attempt to unite and uh, wield our popular power against uh, the people who are stomping on our various necks, faces, and other body parts. Um, in Iran, I guess now they're, they're trying to do the same thing by getting people to have, have this job thing be the essential issue as opposed to the fact that, uh, you know, Israel is, is crawling up your ass and laying eggs and uh, you got to do something about that because, I mean, there, there's enough controlled opposition factions in the Iranian government that that there's, they have a, a bit of a problem on their hands, let's say, in terms of the, the amount of hold they've let Israel get in their uh, in to the halls of power. There's, there's too much uh, Western-educated uh, figures who are bringing back ideas that, I mean, yes, the, the ideas of Western Enlightenment values, that's a good thing. I wish that the West had more of that. I mean, unfortunately, we've kind of discarded that completely and decided that we're just going to uh, – 
play with our genitals all day while bombing other countries who don't uh, who don't allow us to steal their natural resources. But uh, in in general, um, it's the, the the idea of, of uh, getting people to focus on these these dead end issues, which I'm, I'm sure that there that there is a lot of, indeed there's a lot of complexity to this issue. But I think that in general, just focusing on that, and then then it's much easier for somebody to come in and again. Uh, snowball everything into this, oh, let's take out the regime and replace it with something that's more friendly to the West. And it, it, as you mentioned earlier, they're spreading their resources pretty thin here, going after Iran, trying to do a regime change there while they're embroiled in a war in Ukraine that isn't really, you know, it, it threatens to dislodge the petrodollar unipolar empire. It's a pretty big deal there, but they still have the resources left to you know, provoke China and then to try to do this regime change in Iran. So they're pissing off all these three leading Eurasian powers all at the same time doesn't really seem very smart. And in particular going after Iran, normally you would think Iran would be the one that maybe they could break off a little bit and be you know, sort of friendly with. But no, we have to always be really messing with Iran. And as you suggest in your article, that's probably partly because the Zionists who care mostly about Israel rather than U.S. imperial interests uh, know that Iran has been the biggest thorn in the side of the Zionists. And that was country number seven on the seven countries in five years list that we heard about after 9-11 from, uh, from General Clark. So I, I kind of suspect this is another case of the tail wagging the dog here. The Zionists uh, care a lot more about trying to regime change Iran than the Americans should. But because of their power, they just impose it on the American leadership. Yeah, they're always the one that got away, and Israel can't. Their, their pride cannot take that. It's just they have to just keep shoehorning it in, and in terms of their, their grand plan, and also the, the fact that uh, this, this woman, this woman who died and uh, supposedly was murdered, um, who happened to be Kurdish, and the Israelis, of course, have this Greater Kurdistan Project, which is the uh, last step to the Greater Israel Project, and so. They, they, they've been trying to sort of uh, leverage that into getting a, a whole Kurdish rebellion going on so they can bust off a piece of Iran to be part of greater Kurdistan along with the pieces they've busted off of Iraq and Syria, and they're trying to bust off Turkey. And in general, that they have to get all these countries balkanized so that they can completely disempower them and take their resources and just uh, have their puppet state. Right. But boy, that sure looks overextended to me. I mean, that's been the critique of the U.S. empire from all sorts of folks. Uh, Chalmers Johnson, of course, you know, famously made that argument and Andrew Basevich and you know, others who say that, you know, the, the U.S. empire is following in the footsteps of earlier empires that overextended themselves and ended up uh, collapsing often uh, quite uh, unpleasantly. And it, it seems that those guys are maybe going to look like Prophets, in you know, in the for, future foretelling sense, not of course the religious sense, because the way I don't see how this is sustainable. This uh, bellicose position, you know, waging war on Russia through Ukraine, uh, tightening the screws on China by way of Taiwan, uh, going after Iran with its color revolution thing, and provoking trouble pretty much everywhere, overthrowing the uh, government of Pakistan through a parliamentary coup, getting rid of Imran Khan, and on and on and on. And I'm sure they're pretty busy still in, in Latin America. I mean, I guess if you're trying to run a global empire, you have to do this sort of thing. But it seems that a little bit more modesty and focus would, would help. But it, it just seems like they're flailing wildly uh, in all of these different places. Um, so how long do you think it's going to be 
before the, the mainstream media has to admit that, let's say, the, the Ukraine war, for example, is a failure. You know, so far, they've been telling us Putin has lost. Putin is losing big. He's, Putin's been losing big every single day since, <laughs> what, last March? <laughs> uh, when are they going to have to admit that that's not true, do you think, Helen? Oh, they're, they're never going to admit it. They're just going to double down like they have with the COVID thing. I mean, I think that the, the reason why that the, the empire is being spread so thin is because they're trying to hammer it out, just get kill this 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 this, this, this empire uh, to, to get the last bit of juice out of it. And then they can the parasite can hop onto the next host and the next host will be China. So they have to make sure that they've sucked all the goodies out of the United States, stripped all the assets and get all the last bits of anything that they can possibly glean from this corpse. And the only way to do that is to spread a thing, uh, use everything in its military power to uh, go after Israel's various enemies. And then once they're very, very sure that all the lasting goodness has been wrung out, then they can hop on to the next one. As far as the media, yeah, they're just going to keep lying. I mean, they have to convince us to discard our impulses, our survival impulses, our impulses to be able to distinguish truth from fiction, our impulses to uh, preserve ourselves and replace those impulses with those of the state or the propaganda disseminators, or I call them the narrative managers, but uh, the people who are in control of, who want to be in control of what we believe reality is. And so if we can, if they can convince us to discard our own reality perception organs, our sensory uh, capabilities, our uh, critical capabilities, and replace them with those that are uh, imposed by the state, then uh, they've won. And they're going to, and the best way for them to keep doing that is to just, keep telling us that uh, the sky is orange and water is purple and uh, in general that everything is the opposite of what it is. Ignorance is strength, uh, war is peace, freedom is slavery, you know, the whole Orwellian thing. Yeah, they're getting more and more rapidly Orwellian in the mainstream media all the time. It's it's really reached a kind of a fever pitch. Well, you said that you think that the, I presume it's the Zionists who are sucking the U.S. dry. And that's, of course, what Netanyahu said he was going to do in that famous Finksbar conversation, supposedly recorded by uh, a, a, a certain U.S. military officer. And, uh, yeah, Netanyahu said, yeah, that's it's because that's what we do. You know, we we, we hate America and we're going we're gonna to squeeze it out and suck it dry and because that, that's what we do to people we hate. And, yeah, that kind of was... Uh, 9/11 was what seven trillion dollars uh, to destroy Israel's enemies, and it sure did, you know, suck the U.S. nearly dry. But now in Ukraine, some folks are arguing there's really the U.S. that's sucking Europe dry uh, with this uh, you know, war on Germany, you know, disguised war on Germany, destroying German industry, uh, forcing people to flee the euro, go into the dollar, perhaps pushing German corporations and German industry into the U.S. The U.S. dollar is flying high. The euro and, and Europe in general are in trouble. We get to sell our overpriced natural gas to the Europeans this winter and make a fortune. So maybe it's it's actually the U.S. Uh, sucking Europe dry for now. Uh, so how, uh, what, what's the timetable then for when that changes into uh, into the U.S. being sucked dry itself? Well, I mean, it's a question of, like, let you and him fight. Like, Israel can get up there and say, well, okay, U.S. and Europe, you two have it out. and Or just uh, you two, make sure you can't trust one another so that the, the only option you'll have is to trust Israel, which, by the way, has, is selling its own gas to Europe right now and making a huge bundle of money doing that, which, surprisingly enough, there's not a lot of uh, media coverage of that. I, I wonder yeah, why. Yeah, I, I never read about that. <laughs> It's, it's, it's funny how that works, but uh, yeah, they're they're making like, huge gobs of money selling their gas to Europe, and uh, 
it's a lot closer from Israel to Europe than it is from the United States. So it's um, to, and then yeah, another pipeline leak the other day. The, um, the the few European countries that are still buying from Russia because they haven't decided they're going to commit economic suicide and or shoot themselves in the foot and or uh, you're taking take your metaphor of choice. But uh, the, there was a, a pipeline that that goes uh, from into Eastern Europe, into Serbia and Hungary, that sprung a leak, and Poland was like, oh, no, it must have been an accident this time. It couldn't possibly have been sabotaged, so they probably did it. I mean, who, who knows at this point? If, if it was a leak, it would be the world's most well-timed and uh, conveniently located leak in the world. So it's, I mean, the, the fact that they keep telling, saying that these things are accidents, and then even in the West, they were trying to say that at first that the Crimean Bridge fire was, oh, we don't know how that came about. Meanwhile, Ukraine has printed out a postage stamp like months in advance and people are lining up to take photos with it. It's like, can you guys please just stop lying? Just for five seconds, just stop lying. But uh, yeah, as far as timetable goes, um, I don't know exactly what the timetable will be. It just depends on uh, how much how how willing the European leaders are to keep uh, running their banks into nonsense numbers. I mean, the United States, of course, is the past master of money printer go burr, but um, I don't know how much stomach the Europeans will have for that. Well, if unrests are spreading in, in Europe, maybe there'll be a populist uprising, something a little bit like uh, the second coming of the Yellow Vest that could force a change there. And, of course, that could be the nail in the coffin of NATO if if uh, the Germans get upset enough about this war against their pipelines and their economy and uh, get tired of all these lies. Who knows what might happen? And then here in the U.S., we have you know populism spreading, too. And, uh, you know, Trump is still running around uh, giving barnstorming speeches. And there are a lot of uh, angry, disaffected people who correctly don't believe anything they're seeing in the mainstream media, but maybe uh, incorrectly have, you know, certain <laughs> views of things that are maybe not quite all that accurate. Um, in any case, uh, how, how does the uh, populist uh, movement tie together uh, on both sides of the Atlantic? Do you think that there's a, a relationship between sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, the Brexit thing and, uh, you know, Le Pen in France and uh, in, this, in Italy and, and on and on and on? Or could, and could that hit Germany and maybe even coincide with a, a second coming of Trump? And, and would that be a good or a bad thing? Well, it's funny, the, the names that you mentioned are all these, like, controlled opposition populist types. I mean, Le Pen, who completely didn't challenge the, the dodgy election that happened, that, that she happened to lose somehow mysteriously, even though like, there was much more support for her than there was for Macron, didn't challenge it at all, but hands off, uh, oh, no, let's just, we'll just have to go with the will of the people. You know, the will of the people was not for Macron. And then in Italy, where we have this woman who claimed that she was against uh, all of these lockdowns and mandates and World Economic Forum stuff, and then you go and there's recordings of her, like, uh, praising all that sort of thing, and she's a, a big Zionist and everything. And uh, Trump, of course, we know, control opposition, six ways till Sunday, uh, his whole, uh, obviously, Kushner was his handler, and he didn't end the wars that he said he was going to end, and I mean, we've all gone over this a million times with Trump. So, I mean, yes, well, there are the, the people, there's populist movements among the people, the populist leaders are not populist, and uh, are not really leaders either, they're puppets, and it's unfortunate that these people are co-opted, but Unfortunately, they seem to have such a lock on the political system of the various quote-unquote democracies that uh, by the time you end up taking any sort of position of power, that you must be compromised or else you just don't make it there. I mean, there's 
a few people in the, the Congress in the U.S. that I can think of that, that are maybe not completely controlled. I mean, Thomas Massey in Kentucky is he's good, but he's also just he's just a lowly guy, and he's never going to be president. And uh, I don't know about Italy. I mean, obviously this 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 woman who won, she's not she's not going to be the real thing. And in France, the well, the Yellow Vest movement is solid, and I'm glad to see that they're finally waking from their slumber. Um, I mean, Le Pen has shown that she's not ready to do the job, so it's, they're going to have to find somebody to do to do what she was supposed to represent. And I, as much as I would like to see these movements unite, they need they need uh, they either need to abandon the notion of uh, a leader, which is probably a good idea because it, so far these leaders have not worked out. If they can abandon the notion of a leader and just be these populist movements, then yes, they can band together and maybe accomplish something. But uh, until then, it's going to be pretty difficult because there's just so much uh, so much corruption and so much control of opposition going on. Well, the mainstream has put so much credibility behind its anti-Trump uh, bandwagon that it seems to me that you know, to the extent that Trump remains a formidable figure and you know perhaps even uh in the next presidential election in the US that that will create a problem for the managers of the empire because their job is to manufacture consent for the current policies and the leadership and you know they've been so in extreme in their sort of anti-Trump anti you know January 6th uh kind of uh, statements and and positions that I can't imagine how they could sort of turn around and try to unify the country under Trump if it came to that. So I assume they probably will make sure it doesn't come to that. What do you think? Oh, no, they're definitely not going to let Trump uh, win, win again, because after, after what, four years of, of declaring anybody who even, like, said anything that was not unfavorable towards him to be a domestic terrorist, they can't, they can't really pull a bait and switch on that one. But, um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, 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 that's not going to be allowed to happen. Although, as, as I said, it's the, the people who are behind the leaders are. We can basically assume that they're uh, at least have their hearts are in the right place, even if they they might be following the wrong person. But uh, the leaders themselves, well, while Trump, uh, if, if he gets if he did get back in power, I doubt he would really threaten anything that these people have uh, worked to build. They can't allow him to do that because of what he represents and that he would empower the wrong elements, let's say, these quote-unquote domestic terrorists, which is, as a term has come to be able to describe anybody who is not completely brainwashed and completely willing to shut themselves in their houses for three years if anybody sneezes on them. And, yes, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's going to be. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm so annoyed at this, you know, the extreme sort of reaction to Trump and the Trump backers. Um, for example, just you know, the other day, this uh, billion, uh, billion dollar verdict against Alex Jones, you know, shutting down <laughs> Alex Jones. Not that I'm the world's biggest Alex Jones fan. In a way, what I do is to try to provide a slightly better alternative in terms of conspiracy talk radio. But still, I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I, I think this, you know, this war on free speech that we're seeing at so many levels is just uh, obscene. And you know, I, I'm m m tell me if you think I'm wrong about this, Helen. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm so annoyed at the verdict uh, awarding a billion dollars to the Sandy Hook families. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, I've, I'm not, I don't share Jim Fetter's take on Sandy Hook, but at the same time, uh, the demonization, scapegoating, and silencing 
of people who think, oh, you know, maybe Operation Gladio never ended. Well, you know, I can see why they might think that it's it, these things should be talked about, should be debated. And shutting them down with extreme prejudice is obviously wrong. So I'm actually going to be bringing Jim Fetzer, your favorite uh, ex-professor, oh <laughs> to False Flag Weekly News tomorrow. Oh, great. Uh, I enjoy, enjoy getting your stuff, too. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, look, it's you know, if you want to sue somebody, you still have to sue Jim because uh, I actually disagree with him on Sandy Hook and certain other things. Um, so, so sue me. <laughs> I mean, but does, the problem I, I'm sorry, continue. Well, I mean, he, you know, he does have the right to state his analysis. And I think he maybe he could have been convicted in a fair court for libel, but he wasn't. He was convicted in a kangaroo court. So, so that's annoying. You know, uh, it's go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I mean, is that these people, these Jim Fetzers, these Alex Joneses, they deliberately throw their case in order to make it so that anybody who has a legitimate inquiry and is honestly uh, researching these issues, is then uh, there's a chill placed over that entire field, and then nobody wants to go anywhere near it with a 10-foot pole because they uh, don't they don't want to end up getting sued. They don't want to end up having to pay a billion dollars that they don't have. Alex Jones could have challenged that, and he could have challenged that a long way back in the case. Instead, he let them do their worst, and their worst is pretty bad. I mean, nobody's even though Alex Jones is a very rich man, he does not have a billion dollars. At least I don't think he does, and um, that, that's. Like that, that's a ridiculous sum to be held as damages. I'm pretty sure that there are like legal caps on damages that they can't be quite that large. But I don't, I don't know the legal details. I'm not aware. And uh, this, it, it's, it is ridiculous. It is a complete violation of the idea of free speech in this country. And again, they, 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 they did this on purpose. Um, and Fetzer too. Like he, he deliberately chose a target who was a private citizen and did something in such a way that they would have been able to go after him legally, did it in such a sloppy way that they had plenty of room to go after him. And um, I, I, I believe that he, he did that to, to throw the case, to make sure that nobody else would be able to inquire into that field. And here we are with Alex Jones, who's finished the job that Fetzer started. So like I said, uh, have fun getting sued. And um, I have nothing to do with other guests on this program. So I'm, I'm fine. But yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, no. it's, it's very bad. Well, you know, I, I have all kinds of guests on this program, and I often share some of their views. Rarely do I share all of their views. And so the whole notion that you could sue somebody because they had a talk radio episode with somebody who committed libel, uh, that's kind of ridiculous. If you want to, you know, you should sue the, the person who commits the libel, and then you should actually go and prove it. And, you know, I don't think Jim Fetzer threw his case. I, I think he made an incredibly stupid decision, you know, to hire a fool as his attorney, namely himself. That's, that's throwing the case. That is throwing the case. The <laughs> yes, Alex, it is. Alex Jones hired an attorney who, who dumped all of his, his private communications uh, onto the opposing side. How, how, how does that work? How, how can anybody be so stupid as to do that? That's not, that's not stupidity. That's a deliberate sabotage. Well, he married he married a kind of a dubious wife too. At one point, I mean, maybe he just oh, has, yeah. has a thing for uh, <laughs> for people who aren't on his side. I don't know, uh, but yeah, I, I would think Alex might be the one who could be accused of throwing his case. Uh, Jim oh, seems to, yeah, yeah J Jim has fought his case tooth and nail, and he made a couple of really stupid blunders early on, and uh, tried to recover you know from they were them. Blunders? How do you well, know blunders? Uh, <laughs> You know, if, if if Jim is a knowing COINTELPRO agent, he wins the world championship of method acting because I've known him for a long time, had a lot of uh, time with him. 
and uh, I, I know where he lives. And, oh, that's not a threat. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I visit him on a friendly basis occasionally, and it's a very modest house. He's living, you know, very, very modestly. And uh, I, I can't imagine that it would be worth his while. <laughs> to. I, I think he's Jim has personal factors that have made him who he is with both his uh, his strengths and his weaknesses. Let's just put it that way. And one of those personal factors being that he works for Navy Intelligence. I mean, I don't yeah. know about that. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, he would he would be uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's I mean, it's always conceivable that people have figured out how to push his buttons. And I've actually seen evidence that that may be the case here and there. Um, but maybe we all have that problem. You know, they're trying to figure out how to press all of our buttons. That's what all of the surveillance on that the Internet is, is all about. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think Jim has some kind of big, you know, flashing red buttons that you know were available to be pushed at certain times. Like there's a very suspicious character, for example. Uh, who came into Scholars for 9-11 Truth just when it was picking up steam in 2006 and managed to pick a fight between Jim Fetzer and Steve Jones. And this suspicious individual bragged of being the nephew of the Jewish Zionist mobster Bugsy Siegel. Mm-hmm. And this uh, highly suspicious individual, uh, I, I saw him you know, egging Jim on, pushing his buttons and causing that whole problem. And so having viewed that, you know, I, I can kind of see how people like Jim Fetzer and probably a lot of other people uh, are vulnerable to being manipulated by folks who don't have our best interest at heart. But in, in, in Alex's case, though, you know, Alex, I would say, you know, Jim doesn't really have resources. I mean, the reason he, he didn't hire a lawyer in the first place is he doesn't really have any money, which is, you know, he's he's uh, judgment proof, which is good, I guess, for him. But Alex Jones has plenty of money for lawyers. And I didn't understand why Alex Jones didn't just mount a truthful defense uh, saying, you know, I apologize profusely. I was wrong. But here's the reason that I believed what I said. And I gave, you know, I had these people on my show. There's this thing called Operation Gladio. <laughs> There's this evidence about, you know, OKC, this evidence about 9 11, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. And so I had reason to think that something like that was going on. Now that you've come and proved to me that it wasn't, I apologize. But um, I was using exercising my First Amendment right in good faith at the time. Seems to me he would have an airtight case if that was his defense. But I didn't see anything like that being presented. He didn't try. He did not even try. And that's uh, very, very suspicious. I, I, I see no indication that uh, he was honestly uh, tried very hard to avoid losing that case. And then it just happened that he lost. No, he deliberately hired a lawyer who screwed up, quote unquote, screwed up. Uh, sent all of his private communications to the opposing side, which then had everything they needed to go after him and, and make him look like a fool in the press, which was all, the other uh, point of the case, and in, in, besides the, the billion-dollar penalty to deter anyone else who might possibly consider investigating a mass shooting in the future um, or any other uh, supposed mass tragedy. Um, they, 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 they make it impossible from that end, and they make it so that if you, you don't want to be made the complete fool of in the media, get deplatformed from everything, uh, be Kanye Wested. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Speaking of which, uh, more uh, free speech uh, drawing all kinds of bizarre reactions. Like, did did he really get debanked? That's what I heard. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, if, 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 How do you debank a billionaire? It's not the ordinary, yeah, it's, it's not the ordinary uh, Chase bank letter. Cause How can he fit that under his mattress? <laughs> Good question. He's going to have to get a bigger mattress. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it, and what precisely did he did he say? I mean, he 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 made some allusions to he George Soros on Tucker. Didn't even, he didn't even he didn't even get to saying what he was going to say. He just said he was going to uh, get answer all of these criticisms again and go quote unquote death con three on the Jewish people. He didn't actually do the thing. He just threatened to do the thing, and that was enough to get him like removed from everything. You know, all, all he said was that. Uh, Kushner uh, went, did the Abraham Accords because he wanted to make money, and like I don't see how that's even a controversial statement. It's uh, Jared Kushner is a real estate uh, executive. Of course, he did a thing because he wanted to make money. That's what real estate executives do. Like it's not that controversial. Well, accusing Jared Kushner of of wanting to make money—that's uh, yeah, uh, that was his crime. So, so you're a billionaire, and you accuse Kushner of wanting to make money, and then the bank kicks you out. And hands you your your cash and probably in the form of ones or maybe even pennies and you have to buy a big mattress. World's really getting strange, Helen. You notice that? Yeah, I mean that, that's they, they they want us to uh, throw our brains away because thing is the world is just too terrifying. So we don't we don't even want to interface with it. We'll let we'll let the state do it for us. Well, not the state. I use the, the the word the state and it's not really the state. It's this corporate uh, fascist uh, state hybrid thing. That uh, this uh, combination of corporations, the state, and the police forces, and the military, and all this stuff, uh, the general fascist stew that we are living with. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the, the free speech internet that we saw, you know, fifteen year, twenty years ago, in the immediate wake of nine eleven, you know, one of the good things about being in a country with a, a new internet and a First Amendment was that we could really you know speak very powerfully from very small platforms and then those platforms could get magnified by people actually looking for the truth and it seems that that was really a, a defect in the system uh, according to the, the masters of the universe and they're trying to fix that and uh, they're they're part way there but here we are we're still you know you and i both are putting out a sub stack uh, so the Substack ownership so far hasn't given any sign of wavering in its commitment to free speech, and uh, we, you know, we we find platforms here and there. We get you know shadow banned. Uh, they crank down our audience whenever we try to go on any big platforms, but we can still talk. How, how long do you think we can do this? Or uh, is this? Do you think in our lifetimes there will come a moment when, like what we're doing right now, would be as kind of impossible? as it is in, you know, in certain countries, that is that, uh, you know, it'll be no longer possible to engage in sort of no holds bar criticism of the powers that be. Well, I mean, it's, it's definitely a question because I was, oh, this is something that I've been writing about on my subject actually is the, the idea of how they are instilling this sort of uh, internal propaganda uh, re reinforcement mechanism so that if they ever do pull the plug on the internet, uh, people won't just suddenly start acting according to their independent will again, as they would be doing if they weren't constantly being uh, having their propaganda reinforced from the television or the computer or whichever of their uh, method of choice of imbibing the propaganda. Um, but they, they, I feel like they at some point want to just cut the power because then having us in the dark makes us much more uh, prone to fear and uncertainty and uh, being willing to mind just uh, hide under our beds and let the state do what they will. But they can't do that until they have us uh, in such a way that we don't need to constantly have it updated. I, I think that probably as soon as they can get that uh, that, re that internal reinforcement mechanism uh, at least uh, a little bit foolproof, 
then it's going to be, yeah, we're not going to be able to express ourselves on the internet in the way that we currently are. But, um, I mean, they would like to be able to get it so that it has the upload filters, which, again, I've read about. This is what the ADL was working on in, like, 2019, 2020, something like that. The, the, the thing that they were doing with um, Berkeley, uh, University of California at Berkeley, these filters that would actually uh, block, quote-unquote, hate content from being uploaded. So it, it wouldn't just be like they would, they would take it out once you post it on social media, it gets removed. No, this would actually be – you wouldn't even be able to upload it because they would be – they would have, like, parsed out these – memes or these phonemes even of like certain uh, clusters of syllables that they have associated with hateful sentiments and so like you wouldn't even be able to say basic like basic, basic words they've decided would, would be considered hateful once they have that system perfected then we're really screwed because then they don't even have to take out the power and we won't be able to share ideas um i mean obviously there'll be a lot of collateral damage in that but they don't care because they'll have backdoor to the system and they'll be able to put up whatever they like well, you know, I remember Op-Ed News actually did a sort of a beta test for that way back in maybe 2007 or so. It was one of the few places where you could go to post honest stuff about 9-11. But then uh, one day I noticed that when I used the word Zionism, this little error message popped up and said, you know, you can't you can't use hate speech or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Zionism is hate speech. I'm sure that's probably what the ADL thinks. And. So you say you say they're trying to get that uh, an upload filter that would prevent any uploading from anywhere to any website. Well, that's that's the idea. I mean, they they it's, it's funny because the ADL has actually uh, removed that. Um, it, it's not they haven't removed the video, but it's no longer public on their YouTube channel. It's unlisted now, but uh, it's not the ADL pushing it anymore. It's the World Economic Forum that is pushing it. Um, they, I don't know if you, if you remember that UNESCO thing came out a couple of months ago with this crusade against conspiracy theories, talking about how they yeah. conspiracy theories get people killed and all this and that, uh, sponsored by the World Jewish Congress, which is interesting. Um, but and now, they, when the U, World Jewish Congress and the UN band together uh, to, yeah, to and, go and after conspiracy theorists, you know, it almost makes you a paranoid conspiracy theorist just to think about it. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. It was the World Service Congress, the UN, and the European Council going together to say, anybody who believes in conspiracy theories is an evil extremist who must be stopped. But, um, yeah, the World Economic Forum came out with something that, oh, we feel like... That's like they say, say, you know, we're, we're going to shut down Kanye West's bank account because he thinks there's such a thing as Jewish power. Yeah, exactly. It's, they're just rubbing it in people's faces, and it's so so obscene. But, but yeah, the World Economic Forum has now taken over from the ADL in terms of like coming up with these filters to stop uh, to stop hate in its tracks. They they refer to it as abuse, but it's the same idea. I mean, it's these these nebulous terms that can be uh, used to mean whatever the people in power want them to mean at any given time. And of course, nobody wants to be like pro abuse, so nobody's going to stand in the way of that, right? And nobody wants to be pro hate. That's not a thing. So like. Again, they take these words and they and they make them mean things completely different, and it's a very Orwellian thing, which is why it's funny that uh, a couple of years ago there was some some newspaper came out with why we're all using the word Orwellian wrong and what it actually means, and they actually went all Orwellian on the word Orwellian, and it's, it's like <laughs> I mean, where do you go from there? Yeah, right. Well, hey, back in, I think, 1953, Howard Hunt, the CIA agent who confessed on his deathbed later that he had been part of the JFK assassination uh, as a CIA operative, um, back in 53, he actually bought the rights to Animal Farm on behalf of the CIA from George Orwell's widow. And how that's Orwellian, isn't it? <laughs> that's pretty Orwellian.
What did yeah. he do with them? Did he, did he, well, uh, the, the purpose was was that the CIA wanted to make sure that when Animal Farm started becoming filmed and you know put on television and things like that, that it would be basically a satire of the Soviet Union. Ah. Yeah. So yeah, buying the rights. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's it's, it's getting pretty Orwellian out there, and. Uh, you said you thought they might pull the plug, meaning like uh, an EMP burst or something takes down all of the lights. And I, I don't think they'll do that, Helen, because so you know, most people would starve to death. Right? I think I've read studies that said if there were a nuclear war and the way it w- were fought, you know, rather than this huge barrage of nukes, you know, going after first the other side's launchers and and then the cities and so on. But no, instead, what could be done would be just a few. EMP bursts high up in, in the stratosphere that would zap the power. And if it were done you know, correctly, it could zap the power for a very long time. So let's just say the uh, continental North America would pretty much be blacked out for a long time. And the studies say that uh, the vast majority of the population would end up starving to death. So uh, the, I, I don't think they're going to pull the plug on the power of the lights and the Internet all at once. Because unless they decide that to go for a really radical depopulation agenda, which that seems probably what doing, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean that, that radical depopulation agenda might not be in their interest, don't you think? Right, I mean that's what they're doing with this uh, this mRNA bioweapon thing. I mean that's that's uh, there's the, the human fertility is uh, down in, in the toilet right now because of all these people getting injected with these mRNA spike proteins. And um, I mean, you can't really come back from that. So radical depopulation is happening, whether or not it's just a question of is it going to be a slow thing or is it going to be a fast thing? Is it going to happen in, in the space of a few years, which it would if they went with this uh, mass starvation, uh, nuclear slash EMP slash whatever? Or are they going to wait until this generation dies out in, in terms of, OK, we won't be able to reproduce ourselves? I mean, I think that the, given that the, this is the ruling class who's currently around, I don't think they're, they're going to want to wait a whole other generation until they won't get to enjoy the fruits of their labors, which are not their labors at all. The whole point was convincing us to inject ourselves with this poison. And, I mean, we'll, we'll be tied those who did that. I, I feel bad for anybody who did, but, I mean, it's not like the, the, the proof was not there. Well, you know, I, I hate to, to, you know, piss off a lot of my friends and perhaps even uh, family members by saying I'm not so sure that the uh, the vax is going to completely you know radically sterilize people and or kill huge 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 numbers of people I'm, I haven't seen the evidence have. for that yet it well it depends what you mean by huge huge numbers I've I've seen uh, credible arguments that it may have killed you know maybe a quarter million people uh, and you know but I don't see it killing people at such a rate that it's going to depopulate the planet. Uh, or even anything remotely close to that. And likewise, uh, the fertility impairments don't look to be... Or what, what's the evidence that there have been huge fertility impairments in, as opposed to a few studies showing very wor- worrisome things, as Alex Berenson tells us? Well, um, the fact that all of the women who... All the pregnant women who were in the Pfizer trial, um, I think all all but maybe two or three miscarried or spontaneously aborted their babies. Um, that's that's a pretty... That's a, that's a bad sign. Situation. Yeah, I would say that that's a very dire sign. The fact that the, the lipid uh, lipid nanoprotein things uh, all accumulate in the reproductive systems of the people who get injected with them, uh, that's 
that's not good. And that's something that they knew long before they even came up with this uh, whole corona situation. So that's it's not like that was an accident or anything like that. There are people who are still trying to claim, oh, they made a terrible mistake. This was not a mistake. If there was a mistake, some things would be on the other side. Some things would be beneficial to the people who got injected. Instead, it's all bad. And that's not a mistake. That's a deliberate situation. And, mm. uh, I mean, as, as far as, the, yeah, the, 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 they weren't made to kill people off immediately. That would have been too suspicious if people just get the shot and then drop dead 15 minutes later. People would have realized something was up and they would have stopped it. it I mean, it, 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 what does Steve Kirsch, I don't know if you read his blog at all, but oh, yeah. he's, got yeah. some of the, he's got some of the best stuff as far as scientifically speaking that he can able, he's able to back up all, all of what he's saying. Um, and he's saying that it's, it's taking around five months from the, the second shot for people to uh, start experiencing really life-threatening complications. I would think that it might be a little longer than that because then we would be seeing a larger number than, than we are. But, of course, that a lot of people who are dying are not being linked to the thing because it's just too much time has passed since they got injected. I think what Steve Kirsch uh, was, was saying was that it's the peak of post-vax mortality comes at five months, but that's oh, the peak. Months, so yeah. it, it goes up till then, and then it goes down after that. Oh, it's, um, I mean, if, if that's, if that is indeed the case, I, thought, I don't, I don't remember him phrasing it quite like that, but it's been a while since I read that article. As, as far as the, the, the amount who have died so far, I think it's closer to a million than a quarter million. But um, if, you're, if you're going by VAERS data alone, of course, VAERS is, rep- represents anywhere from only one to 10% of the total number of actual uh, situate, uh, number of actual deaths, actual um, side effects. That's a known thing, so that's not reliable. I, I hope I hope you're you're wrong, or at least exaggerating. Although I, I, I hope agree, I'm wrong. I, I, I agree with the basic premise that uh, there's been a lot of downside to this vaccine that has been totally covered up in a t- shameless and disgusting way. That part I totally agree with. I I, I kind of think though that you know maybe 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 I'm wrong. But my, I, I think this is a bioweapon, and I, you know, I'm still back in that world where there were nation states. I, I don't think that they've completely transcended the nation state yet. So I think that a U.S. and of course U.S. means somewhat Zionist-occupied uh, military uh, contingent uh, launched COVID as a sort of a trial bio war on Iran. And then, of course, the Zionists hit uh, Qom with it in Iran, or rather China. First they hit China, then the Zionists hit Qom in Iran. And the mRNA vaccines, I think, were actually intended to be a technology that could provide quick antidotes to that kind of bio strike. And fortunately, they're not working very well, which I think will discourage them from further such bio strikes. If the mRNA vaccines had worked a lot better than they actually have, we might get them uh, hitting Russia, for example, with something like COVID, but even more contagious that kills 10% or maybe 50% or more of the people who catch it. And they might be able to quickly whip out the RNA, uh, our mRNA vaccines that offer some protection. So they might, the vaccines could still kill one out of every 10 people that get vaxxed. And if they're saving them from a disease that kills one out of two, then the vaccine is a success because at the end of the day, Russia is gone and the U.S. survives. I mean, that's how the biowar people think. That's what I think is going on. But, uh, hey, who, who knows? I mean, if the mRNA had been meant as a, a savior or a, some sort of antidote to the virus, then why were all these world leaders have been caught uh, surreptitiously getting themselves placebos and getting themselves the saline solution. I mean, they, they caught the, they called the politicians in Spain doing that. They caught the Macron apparently did the same thing. 
Um, and, and there's no way that uh, Fauci we know didn't take it because he was rubbing the wrong arm when he was talking about how he got a poor arm. And then, then okay. there was all that the video of Borla talking about how, oh, he doesn't want to get it because he doesn't want to jump the line. And then uh, it's, these people, of course, didn't get it. I mean, they know that they're dealing with completely toxic. Okay, well, you, should, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you've, you've got most of the listeners probably agree with you rather than me on this. Uh, but Thank you. Ellen, 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 Ellen,